Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad, my friend, that you are tuning in. Jason Jimenez here with you as always. So glad, once again, that we are able to open God's Word and continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've been following this series as we've been kind of looking verse by verse through the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, remember, this is the premier sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be picking things up in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 48. And, you know, hopefully what you've been noticing and what you've been getting in this lesson is not just, you know, how Jesus taught, but more specifically how we are to live, how we ought to live as a Christian. And so I've been going around a lot as I've been studying this on my own and then sharing this with you over the podcast been telling my wife, my kids, uh, my buddies, a lot of people in ministry as I travel and be able to, to minister to other pastors and other people in different churches and different contexts you know, of, of denominations, just how we as Christians need to be a Sermon on the Mount Christian. Because, man, I, and as we're going to be looking at today, there's so many profound convicting things that Jesus talks about line by line in this short but powerful and everlasting sermon. So hopefully you've been blessed by these. So let's do a little quick recap. If you go back again, as we're going to be picking things up in verse 13, Jesus opened the Sermon on the Mount with blessings. He shifted the Beatitudes. And now as we live the Beatitudes, we are now to live as salt and light. So there's going to be, I think, about eight key things that we're going to be talking about. The first one, as I mentioned, is salt and light in verses 13 through 16, where they're going to be looking at the fulfillment of the law, why Jesus came in verses 17 through 20 in chapter 5 of Matthew. Third thing we're going to be looking at is the law of anger and murder in verses 21 through 26. Then we're going to be looking at the law of adultery and lust in verses 27 through 30. Then we'll be looking at the law of divorce in verses 31 through 32. Then we'll be looking at the law of oaths in verses 33 through 37. The law of retribution in verses 38 through 42. And then we'll be looking at the law of resistance. And that's it. So there's a lot to cover in this podcast. So I do apologize ahead of time. Normally, I try to get these things under 30 minutes. But uh, this may be over over that. So let's jump right into that. Let me read in context. If you don't have the Bible, if you're listening to this on the road, let me read Matthew chapter 5. So again, this is God's word. This is Jesus speaking to us. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than you than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her com- commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and say that you may be sons, so that, excuse me, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Wow. Amen to that. So that is from verses 13 through 48. So we have a lot to tackle. So let me just kind of give you a rundown in these categories. The first thing we see in verses 13 through 16 is the salt and light. Now, ultimately, the title here is, Can People Tell You Are a Christian? Because the bottom line we're dealing with is, again, is a, are you a strong witness? And we hear this a lot about salt and light. So let's understand in context of what Jesus is saying about this and why he sets this up first as he gets into all these other laws. This is very important. Remember, Jesus was very intentional And now he set up the Sermon on the Mount. So we just got through the Beatitudes. We talked about persecution, people who revile you, people who say all kinds of hurtful things. Blessed are you, for you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now here on earth, we need to be salt and light. Now, salt was known as a commodity. Okay, It was a known commodity that was used as a preservative to add flavor. You see that in Job 6.6. However, what a lot of people don't realize was that rabbis, they use salt as a symbol of wisdom. So what Jesus was saying to his followers where they were to preserve the truth in the culture and they were to almost bring a thirst, if you will, for others to want truth, to want wisdom. In a commentary, it says salt was valued for its many uses, such as flavoring, preserving, healing, destroying. It also served as a liturgical function and was used in covenant making. So when you and I come with the gospel in the world as salt and light, we expose the lies and we expose the darkness. That is a salt and light Christian. In verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Our light is the shine of the darkness and expose evil deeds. We are not just light receivers, but light bearers as well. We act as a guide that people can see and follow. Pastor David Guzik says, quote, a key thought in both the pictures of salt and light is distinction. Salt is needed because the world is rotting and decaying. And if our Christianity is also rotting and decaying, it won't be any good. Light is needed because the world is in darkness, and if our Christianity imitates the darkness, we have nothing to show the world. To be effective, we must seek and display the Christian distinctive. We can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like the world, end quote. So when we talk about being a witness, we have to be salt and light. Number two now, verses 17 through 20, is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said in verse 17, I have not come to abolish the law. Jesus didn't come to usurp the law, right, the Old Testament. He came to fulfill prophecy and to live out what the law and prophets had put forth about him. You see this all throughout Scripture. Matthew twenty two forty, Luke 16, 16, Acts 13, 15, Acts 24, 14, Acts 28, 23, Romans 3, 21. So Jesus and the law are forever. In verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a powerful statement. What do you mean by that? You see, although the Pharisees seem to follow the law with great care, right? They're very meticulous about their 613 precepts. Jesus was pointing out to, to their efforts and saying, you know what? What you guys are doing is in vain, See, we're not made righteous by keeping the law, but the law points towards justification. 
If you go back to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, Paul himself said, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness my, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Christ came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. We're not saved by the law by keeping it. We're saved because the law points to us, points out that we are sinners and we need justification. So we are saved through the finished work of Christ. So thankfully, we have a Savior, my dear friend, who came and he fulfilled the law perfectly up to Jesus. And since Jesus, no one has been able to do that. So now notice that we shift from talking about being salt and light, talking about Jesus fulfilling the law and not being rebellious and not abolishing it and undermining it to anger and murder. In verse 22, Jesus says, but I say unto you, remember that was a phrase he used periodically in his ministry. I'm going to say something to you. And oftentimes Jesus says, I'm going to say this unto you because I'm going to speak the truth because you guys have been told a lie. So Jesus corrects what the Jews had been falsely taught by the religious leaders. And that's important because a lot of the stuff that we're learning right now has to do with the, not just Jesus' disciples, but the people in general have been lied to by the religious leaders. He says in verse 22, he says, everyone who is angry with his brother. So he, he calls it out right there that as a follower, if you guys are going to follow me, we don't, we don't go around with anger. You see, the, the Pharisees at the time, they taught about external performance. You see, Jesus focused on the intentions of the heart. Thus, anger, if left untreated, is the root cause of violence and murder. Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary, he says, quote, There is a holy anger against sin, Ephesians 4.26. But Jesus talked about an unholy anger against people. The word he used in Matthew 5.22 means a settled anger. It's malice that is nursed inwardly. Jesus described a sinful experience that involved several stages. First, there was causeless anger. This anger then exploded into words like raka, empty-headed person. These words added fuel to the fire so that the person said, you fool, you rebel. You see, anger, Wearsby says, is such a foolish thing. It makes us destroyers instead of builders. It robs us of freedom and makes us prisoners. To hate someone is to commit murder in our hearts. 1 John 3.15. So the Sermon on the Mount is built on the intention. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going to say this unto you. You're not to let anger control you. Notice what he says now in verse 24. Instead of anger, be reconciled. So remember, Jesus he doesn't deny that we're not that um, that we won't have any problems in our relationships. He says you will have problems in your relationships, so you need to be reconciled to your brother. You see, keeping the peace with others will maintain our peace with God, and vice versa. 
We, my friend, are bound as followers of Jesus Christ by a ministry of reconciliation. We see that in Romans 12, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 through 20, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Those are important passages that we can see this ministry of reconciliation that we have. So we go from anger now to lust. In Matthew 5, 27 through 30, Jesus said right here in verse 28, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, what does he mean by that? Well, the sinfulness of the heart always has lustful intent. Lustful thoughts, if they're left untreated, it will lead to action like flirting, to looking at porn, to, uh, to adulterous affairs, that type of thing. That's why Jesus said that we are to pluck the eye out before cutting off the hand. And again, that's figurative language, but applying it spiritually, we need to make, prevent us looking upon things that we're going to want. So we must target the source. And my friends, that is our thoughts. It goes back to our mind. And so again, this goes back to the intention of the heart that if you're going around lusting after things all the time, you may think it's no big deal when in fact Jesus says it is. And if, he, and if, we, if it's left untreated, if we don't confess it, if we have a sinfulness in our heart and this lustful intent, we will eventually act. I just was reminded of a friend of mine that I was just talking to recently that there was a big struggle in his life and he's been acting sexually. And that is a sin, my friend. It's a sin against God. We are not to become one flesh outside of marriage and treat sex as just as a, a, a thing that we use to satisfy ourselves in the flesh. So we got to make sure that we do not let uh, lustful thoughts. We got to make sure that we don't let anger because those can fuel one another. Lust can fuel anger, and anger can fuel can fuel lust. Now notice what happens though when you do let anger and lust get the best of of you. What happens? Well, now verses thirty one through thirty two, he talks about divorce. Jesus says, "But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality." Man, I wish I could talk so much more about Matthew five verse thirty two. But this comes from Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Jesus is identifying, remember one, is he talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the religious leaders and how they falsely have educated people on external performances when he's looking at the intentions of the heart. Here, when it deals with divorce, Jesus is going back to the teachings of Moses in Deuteronomy 24. And Moses gave the people an appeal for divorce because of their greed, because of their selfishness and their pride. Jesus responds by giving the only good reason for divorce, and what is it? Marital unfaithfulness. Now, you can see further discussion in Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 12. You see, marriage, my friend, reflects our unity with God, our purity, and our faithfulness to God. Back then in Jesus' time, there were, initially, there were originally two major thoughts about divorce. The first one comes from the school of Shammai. Now, Shammai was very conservative and and it talked about a restriction, um, and, and there were some indecencies that would take place as they looked at Deuteronomy 24 from the, the words of Moses. And they said that divorce was obviously acceptable to sexual misdemeanor that was authenticated by witnesses, so it had to be confirmed. Now, there was a, one that was even worse than that, the school of Halil. Is, it says, quote, reputedly took it of any cause of complaint, even including burning the toast or dinner. So Halil was a lot more extreme and says that you can divorce your spouse over anything, 
you know, even burnt toast. Could you imagine that? And so what Jesus was talking about is no marital and faithfulness. Now, we could be thinking about all kinds of things about, well, what if a woman's in an abusive situation? Now, remember, when you and I look at the context of marriage and what it ought to be with a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and the wife respecting her husband in all things, there has to be love and respect in the marriage. And if there's abuse situations, if it's unsafe for the spouse, particularly in this case, usually it is, right, the woman, then yes, there has to be separation and eventually, in some cases, these have ended because of the marital unfaithfulness that comes. And typically, there is a lot of unfaithfulness that comes with, with men who are abusive. But it's never an easy situation. It's always a tough one. And my heart breaks for anyone who has gone through divorce and uh, the kids have to be dragged through that. I spent much of my life dealing with broken families, so my heart breaks for single moms uh, my parents were on the verge of divorce before my mom was killed in a car accident when I was 15 years old. So I sympathize. There's no question. And 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 as you're listening to this right now, if you're in a tough marriage, if your marriage has hit a roadblock, if you are single, um, if you if you've been divorced, uh, if you're remarried and you've been divorced, look, we all have to look at our situations in our life, and we have to open the pages of God's Word and say, "Am I living God's Word?" Did I make mistakes in the past? Have I learned from them? Have I asked God and have I, have I left my gift at the altar that we just read and asked for forgiveness? Those are important things, my friend. But I, I do apologize because there's so much more to to share about those things, but time is dwindling right now. I got to really cover some other things. So just food for thought there. Again, if you have questions about some of these things as you're listening, we're getting people listening to the podcast all over the world now. A lot of people in the United Kingdom, which is exciting. So you can always reach me at jason at standstrongministries.org. Send me your questions. Send me some comments, how I can pray for you. So let's move things uh, uh, on now to the law of oaths in verses 33 through 37. Jesus says in verse 34, he says, do not take an oath at all. Now, what does he mean by this? It's, it's pretty simple, okay? If your intent is not to keep what you say, let me repeat that. If your intent is not to keep what you say, then don't what? Don't say it. If you can't keep a promise, don't make the promise, right? We don't have to, quote, swear by heaven and earth in order for people to believe what we say. James 5.12 says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Interesting side note, by the way, a lot of the book of James, which is very short, and the Sermon on the Mount, which is very short, um, the half-brother of Jesus, James, copied a lot. He structured most of his book based on a Sermon on the Mount. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, let's jump to the law of retribution in Matthew 38, or chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Notice this phrase here in verse 39, turn your cheek, turn the other cheek. We hear this, oh, I just got to turn the other cheek. Like, what does that really mean? Now, here's the thing. People are definitely going to insult you. I've been insulted more times than I can remember. I don't even sometimes want to remember what people have said about me. But as a defender of the faith, in public settings, I've had people insult me. I've had people uh, put uh, put out things on social media and the internet about me. I've had people trash my books, you know. 
So I've been salted many times. And so the point is, is that I know I'm going to be insulted. I just don't let the insults defeat me and neither should you let them defeat you. We are not to retaliate. Just recently, as I'm, as I'm recording this podcast, I'd recently been attacked by a group of, of atheist people uh, on YouTube and just looking at a lot of their comments and how they're responding to me, they're not even dealing with my content. They're just attacking me as a person. And I just feel bad for those people. So what I'm not going to do, and I encourage you not to do this either, is to retaliate. That only makes matters worse. You need to stand your ground and you need to seek seek ways to bring peace. Now, obviously, if someone's violating you, if they're harming you, it's self-defense. That's not what Jesus is talking about when this law of retribution, when you turn your cheek. What he's saying is don't become like them. Don't retaliate. Somebody insults you, don't insult them back. You, you get the point. Because notice in verse 41, he talks about going the extra mile. Go with him two miles. See, under Roman law, a Jew would have to carry a soldier's belongings for a mile. So what Jesus was encouraging his followers to do is don't just be restricted to the law and say, okay, I've done my part. Go the distance in love and grace. Such impositions were not easy, but Jesus demonstrated how one can put the needs of others above self. Now we look at the law of resistance in 43 through 48 as we conclude this podcast. And this is a toughie, not that they haven't been easy so far, but notice in verse 44, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You see, the Pharisees, they were, they were teaching from Leviticus 19.18 that you love those near and dear to you and you hate your enemies. But guess what? That's not found in the Old Testament. So Jesus, on the other hand, not only does he correct the false teaching as he's been doing through the Sermon on the Mount, but he also says to love your enemies. Remember, go the extra mile. Don't retaliate. Demonstrate the love of God to them. If you're going before me, to serve me, God says, to pray to me, to offer your gifts of offering to me. But know that there's an issue between you and someone else. Go be reconciled. See, that's the intent of the heart. Don't call them raka. Don't belittle them. Don't revile them. Look at your heart and make sure that it's right with me. That's the focal point. We see that love in Romans 5.10, as I mentioned that's the love that God says you need to have. Notice in verse 45, God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. God's love is showered on all of his creation. So likewise, my friend, we, you and me, we need to show that same kind of love and grace to mankind. And you know what? I am always blown away. I'm always surprised when I give an encouraging word, when I take the time to ask how people are doing and to just shower them with grace it does wonderful things to people. It opens them up. Why? Because you're just taking the time to care. We're human beings. We're made in the image of God. We need to show respect. And finally, be perfect, my friend, as your heavenly father is perfect. That's what Jesus says to wrap this whole thing up before we start getting into chapter six now in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is saying to his followers, hey, you need to be fully mature. You need to be fully mature in character. You need to be whole. That's what that word perfect means. You need to be whole in God. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's being perfect. That's how how we are to walk 
in the goodness and the kindness and the grace and the power of the Spirit by bearing fruit of what the Spirit produces in our lives. And Second Peter chapter 1 is also a great chapter of seeing our faith grow. That's being whole. So the culmination of everything that Jesus talks about on the Sermon, Mount, Sermon on the Mount is, is all resting on this one verse. So as we go through chapter 6 and 7, always go back to Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That means to be whole. So as I close this thing out, let me just say this, my friend. As you look at God's Word, as you spend time in His Word, let's live it and let's teach it with other people. May God continue to bless you and may you be whole and perfect and mature in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love you guys. I will see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.